Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into the live broadcast of the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU podcast for the instant analysis of LSU's first SEC series as they went on the road to College Station to take on the Texas A&M Aggies. Thank you all for joining us. So if you're viewing this on the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU pod YouTube channel, make sure to subscribe for all the content. And as always, the Twitter account is at 60FT6INLSUPod. And as always, a reminder, I'll post this link on the Twitter account to YouTube and podcast versions. So as you can see, joined by two guests here. First up, Alex Day. We've had him on the live broadcast before, but Alex is from the Weekend Rotation podcast. Alex, how are you doing? Let everybody know where they can find your stuff. Yeah, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on, Chris. Uh, yeah, you guys can find me over at, at Radio Man Day part of college baseball central and we have our weekend rotation podcast we do uh we do our live show every saturday morning at 10 a.m uh and then you know we got stuff coming out throughout the week over at college baseball central on twitter that sounds great and alex just coming off vacation we we're talking a little bit about that in the uh kind of the green room section so he was listening to some of the uh the game yesterday on the tarmac i think when he texted me but we're also joined by matt beard so Matt, LSU fan, but he runs the Spittin' Seeds account, Spittin' Seeds 247 Twitter account. They put out a ton of great content. So Matt, welcome to the live analysis, and let, why don't you let everybody know where they can find your stuff as well. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, you know, the Twitter account is just my personal one is LSU MAB11, and then uh, me and two other guys, two other Tennessee fans, actually. I'm, I'm a, the lone LSU guy in Knoxville with two other guys that help run the Spittin' Seeds 247, and we just – Three dads that kind of have a love for college baseball and like to have a little fun. Yeah, and they um, – so I would encourage everybody to go follow both these guys' stuff. They put out a ton of college baseball uh, information. And just like a lot of people out there, you can see us interacting on Twitter. We're just trying to grow the game, especially now the SEC baseball play has started. A ton of great series. We'll get to it at the very end. But if you all just viewing this for the first time or for those maybe listening back on Monday, the way we're just going to do it is we're going to go through – each game, maybe not in a ton of detail, just kind of what we thought were some high points and low points for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Always keep your questions and comments coming on. Um, my son's producing the show, Jackson Demui, back there in the background. So he's keeping track of all the questions and comments. And so if it pertains to a particular game, once we get to Saturday or Sunday, we'll then throw y'all's questions or comments up on the screen and each of us will give our take on that. So let's get into it. LSU travels to College Station. They take two out of three on the road from the Aggies. The Sunday game went very long, so I feel like it was a mad dash to get everything ready for the live podcast and the live analysis. But, Alex, I'll go to you first. So if I told you on Thursday, LSU is going to take two out of three from the Aggies, ranked anywhere from 11th to 15th in the country, would you have taken that right off the bat, no matter if I told you how those games looked or how they played, would you taken that to begin SEC play? Absolutely. You're always going to take a, series, a road series win in the SEC. You know, maybe – Today didn't go maybe quite the way we wanted to, and we'll kind of get into the specifics on that later. But, you know, you win two out of three on the road at College Station to start your, your SEC season. No complaints there. Yeah, and Matt, just, just to get your opinion on that, if I told you – we'll get into the SEC later, kind of like a little SEC rundown. But if I said, you know, Ole Miss loses three on the road to Vandy, Tennessee may even get swept. So if you could take the Tigers right now on Thursday, I'll give you two out of three. Are you taking that as well? I'll take two out of three every weekend because that's the goal. Yeah. That's a it's a series win, and you're probably going to win the division and probably the entire SEC at that point coming into the tournament. So, so yeah, two out of three all day. Now, do you think, sticking with you, Matt, to me, after that game, sitting here watching it with my son, it's coming down to the wire, that Sunday game after LSU dominated on Friday, 
Then Saturday was an, it was an interesting game. Do you feel like that series – and that was one thing I want to do here. I don't want to get into just a prisoner of the moment, right? I know this is a rapid reaction show, but, I mean, I think we can all take a step back and look how well else you play at times. But do you think that almost feels like a lost series, or you still feel the same way, Matt? No, I think it was an important series because you, you, go, you go your horse on Friday, you get a big-time win, you establish, you know, game one right there. Saturday, you have to fight through some adversity, some a little bit something different that you haven't really faced for the last, you know, when's the last time they played a nine-inning game? It's been a while. So they get to fight through that. And then Sunday, I know, you, you know, LSU fans aren't going to like it, but that loss is not going to make or break the rest of the season. So it's an important loss to maybe learn from and hopefully be like, hey, we don't want to feel that away again. So, yeah, it's, uh, Alex, do you think those guys walking off the field, I know me as a, probably as a player, it's almost like you'd rather – like you don't want to lose any game, but almost like you'd rather get blown out as opposed to giving it away at the end. Now, Texas A&M, they stayed in it. They didn't give up after the four-run first. But do you feel like, you know, a lot of fans are going to think, or you personally, do you think they – it almost feels like a lost series? Or, or you know, did you, do you think you let one slip away right there when you had a chance to, to get a sweep on the road? I mean, yeah, you did let one slip away. You had a chance to get the sweep on the road, and that would have been great. But – I mean, you know, like Matt said, in the grand scheme of things, this loss isn't going to crush it. And even, even the win, even if we got in the win, right, that's not going to make or break the season. So, you know, you just, you, you try and learn something from it. And, you know, if you're the players, you know, especially, you know, maybe, you know, Christian Little, maybe a little bit down on himself or whatever, but, yeah. you know, just, you just got to flush it and move on. Bad days yeah. happen. It's baseball. It does. It does. And especially when you look around the conference in the country, really, for that matter, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's college baseball at its finest, you know, and a lot of teams have kind of seems like the playing field's a lot more even uh, this year, particularly early on. But let's get into Friday night. Let's just kind of go over Friday night. LSU takes that one from the Aggies nine to nothing. As you see, Paul, Paul Skeens get on the mound and absolutely dominate. You know, LSU scores in three runs, really went a long time without hitting. They score two in the first, two in the third, and then put the Aggies away with five in the ninth. And to me, this game was all about Paul Skeens. And I was really interested to see, you know, he's, he's a veteran, right? He's been in Air Force, but he's new to the SEC. A lot of hype coming in, well-deserved. You know, a lot of people think he's the best pitcher in the country. Um, and he's lived up to that hype. But going on the road in what could be a hostile environment at Bluebell, and he just dominates. So Skeens' line on the night, six and a third innings pitched, four hits, no runs, no walks which to me was very important, and then 11 Ks. So when I say that, you know, Matt, let's kick it to you first. What did you think about Skeen's outing on the road Friday night versus A&M? Man, he, it's almost like he's loving the whole pitch clock situation because he gets the ball and he goes. And, you know, that I can remember playing and pitching. If you can establish that and get into a groove and a rhythm, you can do what he did last night, which is establish the fastball early, and then they had no chance on any off-speed, and then you still had to worry about 100, even though he just threw it twice. So the fact that he dominated on the road and kind of silenced the crowd early and allowed the offense to kind of see the pitcher another time yeah. and kind of get back into it with offensively after you know an onslaught early on, that was huge by him. So it was a big-time start, but it was a big-time closing of innings when they weren't doing anything through the offense. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think, you know, one of the things I said on Twitter, Alex, was that A&M had, as a team, which just shocked me, kind of what I did in the preview podcast, A&M as a team actually walked more than they struck out. So I was really interested to see their approach, if they were going to take a lot of pitches. And 
I think I personally have seen Skeens really grow up, develop, not grow up, but maybe develop. And it's like he hadn't shown all of his cards at once. So this game you really saw, you're going to see the fastball, right? Two and four seams. But I saw a lot of breaking balls to lefties and then the changeup flash as well. You know, when you look at Skeen's line, 11 Ks, six and a third, he's up around 100 pitches. Is there anything that stood out about his performance? Maybe one thing that really piqued your interest when you saw him out there against AM Friday? I mean, just how how dominant he was and just how he kept a really good AM offense that we, you know, we saw later in, in the weekend, you know, kind of get going a little bit, uh, kept him down and kept the hitters really confused. And they just, I mean, you know, Jim Slosnagel said after the after the game, you know, that he's pitching in the wrong league, that he belongs in the American right. League or the National League. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just that was just on display Friday night. Yeah, and I thought he did a really good job of um, – you know, there's a couple of stats that I always look at, but leadoff hitters, A&M only got one leadoff hitter out of the nine innings. And then after Skeens, I know we're focusing on the pitchers here. You saw Nate Ackenhausen come in out of the bullpen. He went one in the third innings, pitch, no hits. He did struggle a little bit. Uh, he's been very dominant so far, three walks, three Ks, just a little up and down with his control, and he fought through it. Um, then you saw kind of uh, Christian Little come on. He was efficient in his short outing on Friday night. He threw an inning in the third with one K. Trying to trying to keep today out of it, but if you focus on Ackenhausen and Little, Alex, we'll start with you. Do you think those two guys have really separated themselves in terms of the pecking order of the bullpen early on in 2023? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're just looking at Friday, then you know, absolutely. Um, you know, Little got the save. Ackenhausen came in and and was you know, like you said, a little up and down, but in the end, got the job done. And you know, and then Little came in, he had some guys on base, but you know got out of the jam and, you know, and slammed the door as he has, you know, most of the season. So. Yeah. Matt, what do you, what do you, what do you make of, you know, Ackenhausen was kind of the forgotten man in the bullpen early in the year, or even he didn't get a lot of hype coming into the year. And I, I kind of forgot to mention him too. You know, you had Raleigh Cooper coming back from the left side. Um, Bryce Collins, who we thought was going to be a factor early on. He did a good job last year. And obviously a lot of hype surrounding Christian little Grant Taylor gets hurt. But what have you thought about Ackenhausen so far coming out of the pen? I think a lot of people have kind of tagged him Nasty Nate on uh, Twitter. We've tried to get that hashtag trending. But, Matt, what do you make of Ackenhausen so far um, early in this campaign? I love it. I love seeing a lefty. As a former lefty myself, I love seeing a lefty come out of the pen. And it, it almost reminds me of last year. It's almost like Riley Cooper coming out of the pen yeah. with seeing him come out of there. Sometimes, you know, if I'm walking by to grab something to drink, I'm like, oh, Oh, that's that's Ackenhausen. You know, you might think it's Cooper for a minute, and you know, don't forget Cooper started the season in the rotation. So, it's uh, hopefully I think he's trying to get back and and get to where he can go every day as well. And if we can have two lefties out of the pen like that, that's going to be dangerous. Throw in Little right there with, I guess you know he's got a closer's mentality the way he was talking to himself today. So, you know, I love <laughs> seeing that. Um, so if they can get all that rolling and you can have those lefties and bounce them back like that, back to back, day to day. It's going to be important to the rest of the season, especially going into postseason. Yeah, and I think a lot of people worry, wondered what, what Cooper's role was going to be because he started, obviously, early in the year. He had two starts, and then he seems like he's kind of bounced back into the pen, and you saw him come out there today on Sunday. and He bounced back. Uh, he had an outing as well. Not his greatest outing, I think, but I think you're able to piggyback those two guys. They, they have kind of similar styles, right? They're both low 90s with a good slider and um, kind of a similar arm, arm angle. They're actually roommates, so uh, go figure. And um, I think Ackenhausen's been a big addition. I was actually surprised we didn't see him today, 
really. I thought we may see him um, on Sunday, but we'll get to that game later. Now, focusing on the hitters, you know, LSU jumps out to a 2 nothing lead. LSU was facing um, Detmer, A&M's ace. And uh, the biggest thing to me when you look at this game, they got it going early, which was important. I thought if they could score a run or two early, see Detmer maybe drop up his pitch count, get on the board on the road, kind of silence that crowd, let Skeens get settled. I thought that was going to be important. So they scored two in the first. And you really saw this game, LSU was led by its leaders um, in terms of, you know, Morgan and Cruz, Dugas, and uh, Tanks. But the, really the new addition to me, now this, this, this surprised me a little bit. I want to get y'all's take. When the lineup rolled out on Friday, we saw Kling, who was in the leadoff spot, Morgan Cruz, White, Dugas in the five-hole, but Pearson kind of makes his triumphant return to the lineup. It had been Joe Bear a lot of times. Uh, you know, Matt, what did you think of when you saw Pearson get inserted into the lineup uh, in left field? Did that surprise you? Were you happy to see that? You know, just give me some thoughts on uh, on that right there. Oh, I was ecstatic to see that because Pearson was, was so huge last year for us. So, and, and it seemed like the tougher the competition, the more he rose to the occasion. And that seems to be the case once again. Um, I think he's just a gamer. Some guys are gamers and he seems to be a gamer. And I love seeing him out there because he seems to be a guy who comes up in clutch situations and, and makes something happen usually. So I love seeing Pearson out in the outfield. Yeah, it's almost, uh, Alex, kind of similar where he came on the scene last year. I don't know the exact time Pearson really kind of inserted himself in the lineup, but it almost seems like after him this weekend, I saw a lot of the good at-bats for him. But uh, did you expect to see maybe Joe Bear in that spot when you were maybe thinking ahead on Thursday? It seems like Jay Johnson's a little unpredictable. I feel like I'm always wrong. But Pearson in the lineup, were you excited to see that or, or kind of wondering why Jay pulled the trigger there on Friday? You know, I thought it was definitely an interesting choice as somebody who hasn't played much in the pre-conference, but certainly, you know, like Matt said, has, has proven himself last year to be a solid bat um, and somebody who, who, I mean, is a veteran on this team, you know, who's been through the SEC and, you know, Joe bear, he's had some inconsistent at bats. He's had, I mean, there's always been a lot of swing and miss and, you know, he's been trying to cut on, cut down on that and hasn't, you know, had mixed results on that. Um, so, I wasn't surprised to see Pearson, but, um, you know, I just, I, I thought it was a good movie. He just wanted a, you know, a veteran bat in there. who has been in these kind of situations and then Pearson proved him right. Yeah, I think, and this was the lineup for the rest of the weekend, right? Um, you know, Paxton Kling had a rough weekend, kind of, I'll kind of get into that maybe a little bit when we touch on the Sunday game, but I think looking at this lineup to me, I think you can switch Dugas and Kling from the one to five hole, but this looks like, I've talked about this all season in terms of the length and the depth of their lineup to where you just don't really want to see once you get to the six hole, just a lot of designated outs or guys hitting 200. And then we look at Neil Thompson, they were struggling uh, before they came into the weekend. And um, I think they had a pretty good weekend overall. I hadn't had a chance to tally up all the results. And then obviously we know what Jones did, but uh, I think this is going to be what you see moving forward. And then the only probably moving piece to me, maybe Joe bear in the outfield, I would think. So on the day, when you look at LSU's 9-0 victory, obviously we talked about Skeens being the man right there. He really got off LSU off to a great start. Um, LSU saw a slew of lefties coming out of the bullpen after Detmer finished his his night for AM. And really on the day when you look at it, I had talked about veteran leadership on my preview podcast being uh, really paramount to their success this weekend, being on the road, being against a ranked team, the potential environment at Bluebell. But Alex, if you could just talk about that middle of the order 
and some of the challenges it presents when you have on Friday night, you had Morgan with two hits, Cruz with two hits, Tommy Tanks had two hits and three RBIs, Dugas in the five hole, like it just doesn't stop. A hit in the RBI and then Pearson, two hits, two RBIs, you know, that's, what is that, one, two, three, that's like six guys right there in the middle of that lineup that are veteran and experienced. You know, what, what, what have you seen from those guys, maybe just a difference in terms of approach or focus level this year? for the Tigers and when it comes to the middle of the lineup, especially on Friday night. Yeah. I mean, having Cruz Morgan or sorry, Cruz white and Dugas all hitting back to back to back is just like, that should be illegal. Like you shouldn't be able to do that because those guys are just, I mean, they're just different. And you know, when you look at what Cruz and, and white specifically can really do with two strikes, Right. And how they really have, you know, they, they really lock in with two strikes. They get in, they get in that low crouch, they shorten their swing, and then they're they're ready to just immediately pull the trigger. And they don't make it easy on you. You gotta if you're gonna strike one of those guys out, you're you're gonna you earned it. They're not gonna give it to you. No, there's no doubt. And Matt, I don't I don't know about you, but when I look at those guys and kind of to touch what Alex said a little bit, um, their approach to me, it just seems like they're not scared to hit with two strikes. They're okay taking pitches. When I see them take pitches, a lot of them are like down the middle. I'm like, why didn't you swing at that pitch? You know, specifically with Cruz or even, do you like the fact that Cruz is kind of bookended by Morgan and White? Or would you change things up right there in terms of the way they've kind of set the lineup up the past couple games and then this weekend with Morgan, Cruz, White, Dugas? Do you like those five right there or four, I guess? I, I, I like Dugas in the leadoff spot. I think yeah. Clean got a little – rude awakening a little bit he didn't i think there were some times where he thought some counts were maybe his advantage and he thought he knew what was coming and then it's an sec guy and kind of spins one on him so gets him um i like tommy white where he is i, I like yeah. leaving where he is the thing that makes tommy white so difficult is his approach is fantastic as far as a two-strike approach but he lets the ball get so deep that it doesn't really matter what you throw him by the time he's putting bat on it the break or the the movement's pretty much done before it gets into the mitt and he's still able to drive the ball to the opposite field with power. We've seen it. We know what he is. Dylan, um, you know, you got to trade Dylan. I keep, I think you keep right there. I think Dugas just fits in that one spot for some reason, a little better because of the veteranship because he goes and hunts a fastball early. If he wants, I think Paxson was a little on his heels this weekend, thought he had to see too many pitches. Go get it. Like go get, there's plenty of guys behind you, man. We'll, we'll knock you in. Yeah, it's um, and you really saw that. I thought uh, Saturday and Sunday, just on, he looked like he was guessing. You know, I think I have the stat right here. So Kling was um, one for fifteen on the weekend with eight Ks. So not a good weekend for the freshman. So um, let's see right here. We got a we got a comment coming in. So let's see what Hunter says. Curious to see where Kling settles before. Wait, I'm curious to see where Kling settles because before SEC pitching, he was absolutely blistering it. And that's that's a great point. And I'll bring it up now, and I'll ask y'all now. We're kind of getting ahead of ourselves, but it's fine. On Sunday, I really thought I would see we would see. I what on Sunday, I thought two things were going to happen, and this is to your Matt. You can take this one, Alex. I'll kick it over to you after Matt answers. I thought you may see Joe Bear because Cortez is a righty. You knew he threw mid to upper nineties, and he flashed that, but he had nothing else. So I thought one Joe Bear could potentially run into one. Maybe he takes Kling's spot, or. You take Kling, you bounce him down to the seven hole maybe, and then you move Dugas up. Were you surprised on Sunday to see Kling maybe not get a break 
or take it easy or putting down the line of tour. He didn't have to add the pressure of leading off, Matt. Yeah, I was. I, I thought that he would get moved because Jay's usually in the past. He's willing to move that lineup early, pretty you know the, at the at the drop of a hat, so to speak. And the fact that you'd done it the first two games, I was surprised to not see a little bit of a switch up there or maybe even a complete change of the lineup. But you know, it is what it is. He hopefully. I don't think this is indicative of Kling's level of play moving forward. I think maybe it was just like a hey. You know, they'll, they'll throw you some stuff different when you're not expecting it. So be ready um, because the guy's too good. We've seen it, and there's a reason why he's had an opportunity early on. He obviously could do it in the fall, so I think he'll be fine. Yeah, I think he'll bounce back too. And, Alex, throwing it to you, were you surprised to see um, Joe Bear maybe not bounce into that lineup or at least do guys move up to the uh, leadoff spot? Because – and you know this too, and a lot of people may not realize this, and I know, Alex, y'all talk – you know, with Matt on your team, he's the Oregon State guy. I have a ton of respect for AM's pitching coach, Nate Yeski, and he caught my eye at Oregon State, and he really throws – you see this more now, especially at the big league level, but he's not a throw, afraid to throw any pitch at any time. And you saw today he busted righties hard in from the get-go, no matter who came onto the mound. He just – and it seemed like Kling just – like you said, Matt, he just couldn't figure it out, in or out. What were they, what are they going to do with me? So, Alex, were you surprised to see Kling batting leadoff today on Sunday as well? Yeah, I was. I thought maybe he would, you know, he batted lower in the order, you know, one point earlier in the season. Yeah. And that's kind of where I thought he would be today. But, you know, obviously, you know, Jay Johnson wants – that's where Jay Johnson wants him to be. And I think I, – I mean, I love the, the potential of it. We saw it, what the potential of it was, you know, uh, last weekend against some, you know, some lesser competition. And once he figures it out, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be awesome again. And, you know, uh, I saw on Twitter, um, it was a Mikey Mata from the, you know, on the mic'd up account, mm -hmm. you know, he tweeted that, you know, don't forget Alex Bregman had a four for 41 slump, you know, his, his yeah. freshman year. So, right. you know, it, it's, it's going to happen. He's a freshman. I think Jay Johnson's just going to let him work through it. Yeah. It's, um, I'm sure there's a balancing act, right, between confidence or, you know, uh, especially with freshmen, you know, making sure you don't, you know, destroy their confidence or you pull them. But you saw it with Jared Jones, right, where he sat down for a couple of games and he went on a tear when he came back to the lineup. So I'm sure midweek pitching will be much more to cling to liking. And, and like y'all said, I think Neil has a little bit different of approach. Neil, it seems like he has a uh, almost a, just a veteran approach. And you've seen that at time from Kling and Jones. Maybe those guys have a little more swing and miss in their bat. But you know, I love the fact that LSU went out there and got game one in dominating fashion. Moving on to game two, it was an interesting game, you know, as LSU takes game two of the series. And I said in the preview pod, if, if LSU lost a game, I really thought it was going to be this one due to the fact that A&M had Troy Wansing from the Purdue transfer, a left-handed pitcher going up uh, against the Tigers. I didn't think it was going to be 12-7. to 7. You know, I definitely didn't think it was going to be that. And it seemed like early on – LSU, the fact that they left bases loaded a couple times and Wansing seemed to start every hitter 2-0, and then he all of a sudden would figure it out and go bam, bam, bam. So Wansing on the day was two and two-thirds with six walks and four Ks, and I thought that was going to be LSU's death knell, really, the fact that they couldn't drive any runs early in the game. As A&M jumps on Ty Floyd as they score two in the second, two in the third, and I said this a lot on Twitter. It was very obvious to me. It's not an excuse because both teams had to deal with it. But Alex, did you what? Did you see the game? Were you able to see the game, or were you traveling on Saturday? Were you able to see the game? Uh, I was, I was traveling, but I was still watching and slash listening to it on my phone, you know, off and on. 
I got you. Did did you did you think? Do you think? I had a little bit of an issue with the zone. I'm gonna say it. So did you think that zone had anything to play? Uh, like I said, both not an excuse. Both teams had to deal with it. But do you think that had anything to do with um, early on some of the issues that Wansing or Floyd may have had in terms of their consistency? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that factored into it. Uh, you know, the zone not only was it tight at times, but then there were some there were other times where it was not tight, and so the, that inconsistency is definitely hard to deal with. And uh, you know, I mean, Kendall Rogers on on Twitter, you know, from D one baseball, he didn't he didn't mince words. He, he just <laughs> he, he called him out on it. And uh, you know, I, I mentioned on Twitter earlier today that I felt like you know that. We're, we're talking about umps and, and squeezing pitchers and tight strike zones a lot more this season than last season. I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but I, but I feel like that's more a topic of conversation this year than last year. So I don't know what maybe the, the, the emphasis on the strike zone is different this year than it was last year. I, I don't know, but um, that just seems to be a topic of conversation more often. Yeah. It, um obviously being an ex-pitcher, I want to see a little bit given on each side of the plate, but it definitely seemed like Matt, that this guy's zone was, I'm going to call the white, the white only. There is no black. Look, and I'm, I'm going to say this, it was some both sides. Wansing was, I thought he was pretty wild. He, he had a lot of stuff in the dirt, especially his breaking ball. I thought Floyd was missing by inches at most millimeters on some pitches, especially his outside fastballs. And to me, uh, in terms of Ty Floyd, Matt, what did you one did you think the zone affected him? What did you think of his outing as a whole in terms of Floyd? And I'll just give you his line real quick before I get your comments. So on the day, Floyd goes three and a third, four hits, five runs, three earned. He kind of uh, was a little bit of his own worst enemy in one of those innings, two walks and three Ks. So when I give you that line, we've talked about the zone and whatnot. What did you think about Floyd on the day, Matt? Uh, you know, definitely not his best outing of the year uh, by any means, but I'm a huge Ty Floyd fan. I've been a huge fan since since day one. I think the stuff is – I think his stuff is next level. I just don't know that he's truly unlocked it yet. He has taken a huge step this year. But yeah. the ease at which he throws a fastball and the fact that everything comes from the – I mean, there is not a difference in anything. He repeats his motion so well. And I do think the zone was – it was obviously tight. It was like – I was like, is this a major league game? I mean, because it was, I mean, it was, it was right there, but I think he allows certain things to get to him maybe than other guys do. I, I think that, you know, the zone was tight, but instead of just going, okay, that's the zone, it was like, oh man, I should have had that one. And I think it affects him just a little bit more. I think that's the next step in his evolution is that moving on from the next pitch. Cause you've got the stuff, dude, you're throwing 96 with ease, like, yeah, you'll be fine. Just just pitch to what you know. Yeah, it was interesting. And um, that's an interesting take. You know, it, it, it does. Obviously, everybody gets frustrated on the mound. And um, I just and you're right. He, he is so close to unlocking it because as we've seen, he does have four. I know a lot of people still harken back to he only has one pitch for a strike. And I'll get on my soapbox for a second. He has four pitches for a strike and he and and he's thrown them. He has a fastball, a changeup. He's added a slider, which is filthy. And the fact – this was the frustrating part to me about Floyd. And once again, I know Wes Johnson. you got to trust in Wes Johnson, right? I'm not going to question anything he does. And my, and my son and I were talking about it, but it almost seemed like he reverted back to the Ty Floyd of last season. But I think some of it had to do with the zone to where I think they just said, you know what, screw it. This zone is terrible. 
and we're just going to live and die with 94 to 96. And if they hit you, they hit you. It almost felt like they didn't want to take a chance on falling behind with breaking balls because he flashed a changeup a couple of times early in the game. And then it looks like they just went away from it. And still with the fact that in the SEC, you can throw 94, 96, almost all, probably 90% fastballs and still have the line he has is, is pretty impressive. But Alex, LSU goes down four to nothing. Floyd is scuffling a little bit, but then all of a sudden the offense comes absolutely roaring back as A&M just sends on an army of lefties. Wanting leaves and Aschenbach comes in. He's another lefty. I don't know if anybody has more lefties than A&M. But you see as LSU plates uh, six in the top of the fourth, Thompson and Neal single. Then there's two outs, and we've talked about it before. Cruz walks. Then LSU goes nuts with two outs, right? White singles on an 0-2 pitch. Dugas, Pearson, Jones, all singles to drive in that run. Once again, that just gets back to the lineup. What do you think? I mean, once you saw that, I don't know. Just talk about that little sequence right there because that is just truly impressive for them to just explode with two outs. Then White gets a hit, as Matt talked about earlier, with 0-2. Now, when you saw that, I mean, I don't, I don't know if we can say anything more. It's early in the season about that part of the lineup. But what did you see when they saw it, when they just exploded for six uh, – six runs right there to take the lead versus the Aggies. Yeah. I mean, it just, there's no breathing room for the pitcher. Like it's just, you know, guy, dude, after dude, after dude, after dude. And you like, you can't, you don't have any opportunities to make a mistake. If you make a mistake, they're going to crush it no matter who's at the plate. And so you have to be perfect. And if you're not, they're going to let you know. And, um, you know, one of the crazy stats from that game was that, uh, the top three hitters in LSU's lineup were one for 14 and LSU still scores 12 runs. Like there's not, there's not many teams in the country where their top three hitters can go one for 14 and they can score that many runs. Right. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, you bring up a great point and that leads us to great segue, Alex. So Matt, one of those guys that led the way that day is freshman Jared Bear Jones. And uh, he comes up in the, um, in the sixth, he hits a massive three run home run. He gets another two RBIs in the seventh. So on the day, Jones was just four for five with seven RBIs. I mean, it uh, he exploded onto the scene, scuffled just a little bit, but now in SEC play, but now he seems like he's rolling again. What do you what have you seen from Jones this year? And do you like him hitting in that seven hole towards the bottom of the order as well? Absolutely. If it's not broke, don't fix it. And what what better person to have in the seventh hole especially in the sec if you think all right now i've got through i got through tommy i got through dylan i got through trey jared jones is at the bottom <laughs> Dang, you know so make it as difficult as possible this this lineup has the ability to turn over quickly so the fact that you're worried about possibly a good hitter being later in that in that lineup they'll get to him and he's probably still going to have three or four bats in a game especially with this lineup so far um you know i think it's important for him as good as he is to be in this lineup with these guys, this is going to allow him to still see some pitches and, and, you know, they're not going to be able to take, take anything off when they face him because, you know, as soon as you roll back after him, the lineup flips back over. So you're going to have to go after him. So it's going to be fun to watch this kid, you know, hopefully he stays where he's at and continues to hit the ball. Well. Yeah. I said it today, but I think when you, when you look upon a sequence like they had right there, in the fourth inning, I put this out on Twitter, really talking about today how LSU – I was just watching some of their at-bats, and we've mentioned it several times, but as, as a former pitcher, it's I, – I, I told my son, I was like, these guys would crush me because one, <laughs> they, they extend at-bats, they foul balls off, 
Matt, you mentioned they're not afraid to get jammed and go the other way. They're not afraid to get down in a hole. They trust their approach and they just extend innings and you can't take a breath. Like you said, if you've got, you know, Thompson's a proven commodity, you know, I know people kind of go up and down on Thompson. Neil has a veteran approach at the bottom of the order, but then when you look up and you have, if you have Pearson and Jones, six, seven, those guys can run right on one, one out of the park of you on you um, very easily, but it's just, it's just a tough lineup when they're all clicking. And like Alex, you said, even when the top three aren't clicking the ability to score runs, but besides Jones, I think, now, this guy's been the hero of the day a couple times. But, Matt, what have you made of Garrett Edwards? So, Edwards comes in in relief of Ty Floyd. And to me, he really settled the game down, right? It was it was kind of back and forth. Obviously, LSU had pulled ahead. But, you know, a was still making some noise. But Edwards comes in for Floyd. He does a great job. He goes three and a third, three hits, one run, one earn, three walks, and five Ks. And – I'll be, I've said this before, but I was surprised Edwards came back this year. I just didn't know where he was going to fit in after seeing and hearing about a ton of these arms in the fall. But what have you made of Garrett Edwards coming out the pin so far this year, Matt? I love it. I mean, he's, I was good. You stole the words right out of my mouth. I was thinking player of the game is Garrett Edwards. I know the game got out of hand, but he allowed it to get out of hand because he made some big time pitches, big time strikeouts in important situations, getting out of innings. Um, He's been fantastic. I think he's a, a guy who can eat up a ton of innings for you, but important innings, not just, oh, you know, we've played a long weekend. We need we need a guy who can go eat innings. He can go eat important SEC innings when things don't go so well for a starter. You know, he allows a guy to maybe get out of there quicker. He allows Jay to pull that hook quicker so the confidence isn't blown on a starter, on a weekend guy, because we got him to go, you know, three, four innings. So I think it's important, and I'm glad to see him come back and do well. Yeah, he's – and that's the interesting thing about this pin so far is that uh, you've seen Edwards. It's almost like he's the fireman, right, Alex? He's come in. He's got it at jams. He feels very comfortable in that situation. But then you saw him really get extended in this outing. His velocity's increased. He's worked a lot with Wes Johnson on his arm path after having some shoulder issues. And then he pitched with like a torn, I think, MCL last year. So he's finally healthy, and he's 94 and 95 with that wipeout slider. What have you seen with Edwards? And do you think he's kind of that get-out-of-the-jam guy moving forward, or do you think he maybe transitions into a different role, in your opinion, in the bullpen? No, I think Jay Johnson likes him right where he is. You know, Jay Johnson said after the game that, yeah, he's he's our stopper. He's the guy. We need somebody to come in, stop the bleeding. He, that's that's Gary Edwards. And it's been awesome to see, you know, uh, you know, I like, I like you. I, I thought Edwards and Helmers were two guys that were going to, that were going to transfer. Um but you know it's great to see you know the development from from Edwards, and that he was gonna he's gonna stick it out and he's like if I, I can pitch here I pitched here my freshman year I know I can pitch here, and you know he's he's done the work and and improved and it's hard not to root for a guy like that. Yeah, no, I've been I've been thoroughly impressed with him and he really I was sitting by uh, Matthew Musso one of the last scrimmages during the um, spring. And he just uh, – he really impressed me with his outing. You know, he's 95, I think 95 to 96. And with that slider, is very hard. And I walked away from that outing being like, man, that, that guy is going to be a dude in the bullpen this year. And he's proven that so far. And I think he's been invaluable to LSU right now. And then, you know, LSU wraps up the game. They win 12-7. You see Blake Money come in, give up a run. But he gets, uh, he gets an inning in. You haven't seen him throw a lot this year. Um, after Edwards, I do need to mention that Cooper came in. So Cooper goes an inning in a third, two hits and a K. He looked uh, – it was good to see him get back on the mound again. Every time I see him, it's, 
his new haircut kind of throws me off. I think he needs to get the long locks back. But you really saw Saturday, it was kind of a change to where it wasn't the vets carrying the team, really. It was kind of Tommy White and Jared Jones. You know, everybody hopped on their back. Did they account for 10 RBIs? LSU scored 12 on the day. And then that brings us to today's game. You know, I think everybody wants to focus on today's game. It was just kind of a bit of a mess, you know. And um, you see Thatcher Hurd take his turn on the mound. And I was looking forward to seeing Thatcher throw the fact that, you know, he was dominant against Southern. No, he had that Monday game, and then last week he threw on Sunday as well. So he threw twice in a week. I thought Monday he was dominant when he threw, I think, against Butler that Monday. Then on Sunday he threw against Sanford. Wasn't as great, but he had thrown like 70 pitches, you know, five days earlier. So I was really interested to see how he threw today. And once again, a little bit of an up-and-down outing from Hurd. Alex, what did you think about Hurd on the day in terms of uh, his outing? Yeah, you know, when, when Hurd struggles, you can tell it's when he when he loses his fastball command. He's always got that breaking ball with that, you know, ultra-high spin rate, and that's that's usually working for him. He's got pretty good command of that pretty much always. But that fat, when, that, when he loses that fastball command, that's when he starts to struggle. Um, and you saw that today, uh, you know, at times. Um, the strike zone was a little bit better today uh, than it was yesterday. Uh, but, you know, he just – he just couldn't quite. He he was battling. He was up there. He was trying, but you know he just kept getting kept falling behind a And M hitters, and and M you know coming into this uh, this series, you know, they walked. I think you pointed out in your preview, you know, they were they were walking more than they were striking out. You know, so this is a team that was going to grind out at bats, and that's exactly what we saw. Yeah, I thought um, much along those same lines, Matt. It didn't seem like, you know, he really was fastball changeup. And, it, and it, he's got a very nasty slider, but it seemed like he had zero feel for his slider today. So on the day, Matt, Hurd goes three in the third, four hits, two runs, two earned, one walk, uh, four Ks. Obviously, he kept LSU in it because the Tigers jump out. They score four runs in the first today. He gives up a solo shot to uh, Moss, I think, and with two outs, a solo shot in the first. You got four runs. I don't care. That doesn't hurt you. That's not going to lose you the game. LSU scores one in the second. But what did you take away from Hurd's outing? I guess, what have you thought about Hurd on the year? He's been kind of, you know, he's been a little here. There's, there hasn't been a total, a lot of consistency. He's had some good starts. He's had a weird start, you know, starting on a Monday. Um, I think that may have contributed a little throw off here or there. If, if he can get into that rhythm of Sunday, I think he'll be all right. I don't think it's an indicative an indication of, of who he is as a pitcher. Um, I think he feeds well better on consistency. So that might be kind of, you know, he comes from UCLA. Savage pitching coach. That is yeah. about as rigid as it gets outside of Vanderbilt. So, you know, a, a guy like that who has the stuff that he has and to be able to pitch on a Sunday to maybe where you're either going for the sweep or you're trying to save a series, you got to find an important role and find out where you are as a pitcher, and hopefully he does that. Yeah, I think I think um, there's been flashes of his, you know, what his stat, the stats at least said in terms of UCLA, and you've seen how he can be dominant. And it, it, it's uh, – it does seem like he's fighting himself a little bit. I don't think it's necessarily a lack of confidence. And this is something else, right? You know, he's a uh, he's a sophomore, okay? So he's I, – I, I've never been to conference games on the West Coast, but I can't imagine they're as rowdy and as well attended as they are on the SEC. So he's still having to deal with that. You know, he's right. still getting used to the conference. And, uh, you know, just he's just probably fighting himself a little bit and maybe a little bit of lack of confidence when everything is uh, not clicking for him. But the good thing is the Tigers, look, they got out early on Cortez. Cortez coming into the game, the starter for AM, 
He's going to be a mid to upper 90s fastball. But when you looked at his stats, I think he had 17 and a third innings pitch coming into this game, 12 walks, 17 Ks. So he has great stuff, but he was also prone to wildness. And you saw that early on as LSU takes advantage from four with four runs in the first. And they really don't have to do a lot. Kling strikes out. Unfortunately, he continues his trend. But then you go a walk, a walk. Then a tailor-made double play back to the pitcher. Cortez fumbles it. Um and he commits an error right there. Then you have a uh, another walk with bases loaded. Then Pearson comes through with a uh, RB two out. I mean, excuse me, two RBI single. Jones case to end the inning. And then you have a two out RBI single. I think by Thompson right there as LSU finishes off the inning. And Matt, I don't know about you, but I thought at that point early in the game, I'll put it on Twitter and it looks stupid now, right? I'm sure somebody hasn't thrown it back in my face, but I thought they were gonna ten run rule these dudes. I thought they were just. They were rolling early, and Cortez goes out the game. I think he only threw like an inning and a third or something like that. What did you see early from LSU, and, and did you think it was just going to continue throughout the game like I did? I I never, especially with, with A&M, because they have taken – I mean, I remember last year, that after that first series last year, I was like, a and going to be a tough out because they are just – they're pesky, and they, they play like Schloss coaches, man. They They – completely identify with their head coach. They are just going to fight you tooth and nail. So when that lead got to where it was, I didn't think that was ever going to be uh, a problem for them. Sorry. Yeah, I was on the flip side of you. I thought I thought we were going to steamroll those guys. <laughs> so, Alex, I don't know about you, but look, it's it's five to one heading into the third. Hurt's struggling, but he's doing okay. He gives up a run in the third, really, unfortunately, from his own doing as he gives up a single, a K, a fly out. Then he gives a two out single. Then he goes wild pitch, wild pitch to give up a run. But then he works out of it. Thoughts before we move on to this kind of the, the, the mess that it turned out to be. Thoughts early in that game. Did you think LSU had a chance to run away and hide? Or did you think uh, they were doing just about as well as they could? You know, Hurd, Hurd was kind of battling some things. LSU put some runs on the board. But how did you feel early in that game today? I mean, early, I, I, I had the same feeling you did, Chris. You know, I thought this LSU was going to continue off of the momentum they had, you know, from the last two nights. The offense was just going to keep rolling. And, you know, that it didn't really matter if the pitching struggled a little bit because the offense was just going to keep rolling. Yeah, it's um, – and then it just kind of turned into where it stopped. So A&M takes out Cortez, and this, this guy was the MVP of the game. <clears throat> they bring in Lampkin. So Lampkin – doing my preview the only way i know this is i was doing my preview he started tuesday at houston he threw four innings right around 70 to 80 pitches and i didn't think he was going to throw this weekend they actually said on the broadcast that he was not supposed to throw that they were going to start him again on tuesday i'm sure lsu fans wish he wouldn't throw so lambkin comes in he goes four and a third four hits one run one earned one walk five k's but more importantly LSU scores four in the first, one in the second. Then they go three, four, five, six, and they don't score anything. They get nothing going. Lampkin's absolutely dealing. He works around a hit here and there, but he's really striking a lot of guys out. So, Alex, what did you think, one, about Lampkin? And I know a lot of LSU fans point to it. Do you think LSU has trouble hitting lefties, or are the fans just hyper-focused on lefties, and that's just a college baseball thing where – any lefty that's going to throw 92 to 94 with a slider for a strike is going to be tough to hit. Um, you know, I, I certainly think that, you know, in college baseball, like you said, you know, with, with lefties that, that have that kind of stuff that, yeah, they're going to be hard to hit. Um, but 
and, and I don't think this entire lineup struggles with lefties, but I do think there are certain hitters that struggle with lefties. I mean, right now Jones is under a hundred batting under a hundred against left-handed pitching. Uh, White is under 200 against lefties. You know, we are talking about your two biggest, two of your biggest bats struggling with left-handed pitching while Cruz uh, and Morgan, they do pretty well against, they do fine against left-handed pitching. Um, You know, but if you're two of your biggest bats, are struggling that much against left-handed pitching, it's going to stall your offense a little bit. Yeah, and it, it definitely hurt today. Now, Matt, LSU was definitely, I put this on Twitter, it felt like they were just living on the edge. And you said A&M's going to struggle. That's how Schlossnagel Schloss from TCU, that's how he coaches. And that was their approach, right? When I looked at their lineup before the weekend, nobody really scared me, but you could tell they're just going to battle foul pitches off. And that's how they're going to beat you, right? They're going to get on base move guys over and have some singles. And that's how their big innings happen when they string together hits. But so after Hurd exits, Cooper comes in, he gets a massive one, six, three double play. He turns himself. But after that, he's just not himself. He just doesn't look right. He gives up two runs in the fifth. Cooper goes two thirds of an inning, two hits, two runs. Everything's twos, right? Two walks. And then Shores comes in and Shores, I was shocked. So Matt, one, what did you think of Cooper's outing? because we kind of sung his praises early on. And then two, Matt, what did you think when they brought Shores in? Because I, I was not sold on them bringing him in, but he kind of proved me wrong. Yeah, I think Cooper, you know, maybe was a little worn out this weekend. After I mean, I know he didn't throw much the day before, but he's had, a like we talked about earlier, he's had a weird kind of start to the season, being part of the rotation and kind of jumping in the bullpen. I think he's just trying to get get a rhythm himself. So I think he – you know, that was where he was trying to fight. And I think with with Shores, man, coming in, you know, 96, 97, 98, that's next level stuff. And that was it was good to see. And it was nice to see because when you saw 100 on Friday for if you're A&M and then you see, you know, 96 from Ty and then you've got the, the soft lefty and then it's 96, 97, 98. And that's tough. And, and, and it was nice to see him throw well. And maybe that could he could find himself a role there as a short setup guy or get get him somewhere because him paired with little could be nice to see yeah that was um yeah he threw really well today and i was i was really pleased by his outing alex and we know he's kind of struggled he's had some you know started in the weekend but he really never went really past three innings and even in the midweek he's kind of struggled mainly with his fastball command to where you hadn't even got to see some of his good other pitches like matt mentioned he's upper 90s right can top out at 100 were you surprised to see them bring shores in in that situation you know, uh, I think at the time the game was, man, it was uh, five to four, actually. So Shores comes in and he gets a massive double play. Did that move surprise you when Jay Johnson made the call to the pin? Yeah, it did. I, I was very surprised when they brought Shores in. You know, I, I tweeted out at the time. I was like, you know, welcome to the SEC, Jay Shores. You know, like you're coming in. There's no outs. There's two on. You got, you know, one a couple of runs have already come in. And you're, you know, you're here to, to save the day, you know. And he does. I mean, he dealt and he seemed very comfortable in that role, which is not a very comfortable place to come in. And so that was that was good to see. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they how they move, use him moving forward. No, I agree. And I'm, I'm trying to think. I don't even know if we saw a ton of his secondary pitches, really. I feel like it was just a ton of fastballs. But I put on Twitter like he he proves that pitchers are athletes, right? He gets a double play, but then he catches he catches a comebacker to end the inning. And then the six, he catches a line drive and he turns a double play. So uh 
you know, props to him for, for him being like six, eight and being an athlete. But then in the seventh, I think this is the inning that a lot of LSU fans are going to point to from an offensive standpoint. They finally get Lampkin out of the game. Hogan comes in a righty finally after just an onslaught of lefties from A&M this weekend. But in the seventh, it's 5-4. You see LSU go walk, wild pitch, then another walk, then a hit by pitch. So you got bases loaded. Um, so we get a sacrifice fly from um, – who is that? I can't read my hand. Got a sacrifice fly, RBI. And then – from Neil. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sacrifice fly RBI, and then Kling puts the bat on the ball. He hits the ball to right and moves runners to first and third, and then we get a ground out. But right there, I saw this on Twitter where a lot of people said this is the LSU. This is the inning LSU is going to kick themselves because they're only able to get one and extend the lead to six to four. Alex, did you think at that time only getting one? Because A and M did make a change, right? They brought in the righty Hogan. He didn't have it. If they would have left him in, LSU was going to crush him. But then they bring in their closer, really the best left-handed pitcher they have in Johnston. And he kind of slams the door. But after that inning with a 6-4 lead, did you felt like LSU kind of left some meat on the bone right there and the fact they couldn't at least get two and maybe even broken that thing wide open? Yeah, I mean, certainly. You you definitely would have liked to see more than one run in, in a situation like that in a tight ball game. Um, but, you know, it, it happens sometimes. I mean, typically LSU has been pretty good in those situations. There's just been a few glaring ones where they haven't. Yeah. Matt, what did you think about that inning right there? If I tell you, you know, bases loaded and you only got getting one run right there with a chance to extend the lead, just uh, kicking yourself after that. Or, or you felt like it was, I mean, I know you always want to get more runs, but I mean, do you feel like it's still would have been okay, you know, heading into the uh, bottom of seventh right there, or that was just a, a opportunity lost. That was a big opportunity lost. I mean, anytime that you get, you got an opportunity to score more runs, you go get them. Um, especially in a game that the, going the way it is where where runs are tough to come by and, and you're kind of struggling, every every run matters there at that point. So big missed opportunity, and that, that probably is the inning right there that you'll look to and say that's this is where it started. No, I agree. And then as we all know, Christian Little comes in and it's just really kind of unlike himself, you know, is um, A&M puts some pressure on him. Well, actually, Shores starts the eighth. I apologize. And he gives up a single and then a hit by pitch. And I don't think the guy got hit. He just moves out the way. They didn't review it. But uh, so, yeah, first and second, Little comes in, walks a guy. And, you know, as LSU fans, you're like, here we go. Here, it's coming. But Little goes back-to-back Ks, and he's got a chance to get out of it. They put a pinch hitter in, the freshman who's been leading off. I think his last name is Wells. Gets the count to 3-2. He draws a walk. On a, on a little bit of a high slider. And then um, I believe Tucker comes up after that, who had a really good game after he got put in the game. He gets a hit. And then Hunter Haas, who killed LSU on the weekend. That guy was absolutely in fuego, the Arizona State transfer. He went berserk this weekend. He gets another hit that drives in the runs. And before you know it, you know, Christian Little, just the damage is done as he gives up uh, a couple runs right there. So, Matt, what would you think? Man, what did you think about that inning right there in terms of uh, Little's outing, I guess? They almost got out of it. But as we talked about, you know, really from the fifth on, fifth, sixth, seventh, and then the eighth, they were just playing with fire, and eventually it comes back to burn them, Matt. Talk about Little's outing in that eighth inning right there. Yeah, I think there was a little bit too much nibbling going on. Um, you know, there's been a drastic change defensively, uh, much to the, the applause of LSU fans from what we were last year to this year, we're you know, almost basically worst to first 
Um, so I think we knew. I think he nibbled just a little too much. I, I would like to have seen him gone after a little more in the strike zone. I mean, you've already got the series win. This is a learning opportunity. Let's go after those strikes. Let's let let the defense work. Let's figure out who we are because the offense can always put you back in at any point. So let's just go throw strikes. Let's not try it, you know, trying to go away too much and maybe get guys to chase and we'll just go right after them. Yeah, Alex, I, I agree with Matt right there. And you really saw um, – <clears throat> we know Little's – you know, he's, he's, he's 92 to – he can bump it up to 96, 97, but he seems to live in that 93, 94 range. Great changeup. Really good slider. And it seemed like today, I think they mentioned on the broadcast, he really didn't feature his fastball hardly at all. He's really kind of living by that changeup. And the slider wasn't as tight as we usually see. And he was falling behind kind of a key for LSU's um, pitchers today, it seemed like, really. What did you think about Little's outing right there and the fact he almost got out of it, but in the end he just he just couldn't get it done, you know. And uh, LSU, as we mentioned, was living on the edge right there. Thoughts on Little in the eighth inning for you, Alex? Yeah, I mean, he was he was one strike away from getting out of it. And it just it just, you know, just didn't happen that way. You know, I think I think this is the first time this year we've seen him throw twice in a weekend. And so I don't know if maybe that factored into it at all. Um, but, that's, you know, it's certainly something different. That's it. Sorry to interrupt you, but that well, that's interesting you bring that up. So I had a huge problem with. Now, I'm not saying this is the reason, but it's funny that you bring that up because I put it out there on Twitter. I had a huge problem with him throwing, uh, I think, the ninth inning on Friday. He gets out of the jam in the eighth. LSU puts up, uh, I think, four in the ninth, right? Four or five in, the, five in the ninth. So it's nine to nothing. The game's over. You can tell AM's really not coming back. I just don't understand why they didn't let Dutton or Money or Collins or somebody else throw that inning in case you had to bring him back today. Not to say that that's why he didn't do great today, but to me it just didn't make any sense. Now he only threw like 12 or 15 pitches in the ninth. He did well, but it just didn't. I just didn't get that. Maybe they figured he's already hot. Let's just let him roll, or let's just go ahead and nip this sucker in the bud. I don't know, Alex, what do you think about that? I don't know if my theory is way off base, but uh, something I noticed too. Yeah, you know, I think uh, Friday night, I think I responded to your tweet, you know, asked or said something to you about, oh, you know, do you think maybe we see money come in in the, in the ninth? Yeah. And, uh, you know, when it didn't happen, I, I did think that was a little a little odd. And maybe that contributed, maybe it didn't to what happened today. Um, but, I mean, if Little's going to be your closer, you know, he's he's got to be able to go twice in a weekend. No doubt. I, I totally agree. Matt, wrapping up on the Sunday game, and then I have I do have some questions, some things I wrote down about the Sunday game that we can get into, and I think there's a lot of comments about the game and maybe LSU moving forward. Second loss on the year. We're definitely not going to overreact. All right, Matt, here we go. LSU struck out 11 times today. When you look at two out RBIs, A&M had five. LSU left 12 runners on base. I know this is a lot, so maybe just pick and choose what you like. This is what I look at. LSU's uh, strike percentage was probably the worst of the season, 55% strikes. That's what the pitchers threw. And then finally, A&M got the leadoff guy on four out of eight innings, and I wrote it down. In the third, fifth, and eighth, A&M scored, and they got the leadoff runner on every time. And in those run innings, LSU, I mean, excuse me, A&M scored one in the third, two in the fifth, and four in the eighth. A lot of stats, a lot of stuff I threw out to you, but that's what stood out to me when you're dissecting this game from a statistical standpoint. Anything right there is just a huge red flag to you. Be like, yeah, we can point to that. And that's one of the reasons why they lost. 
left on base. Look at the other loss we had against Iowa. I can't remember exactly, but we left a ton of guys on base. With yeah. this lineup, that we got to be opportunistic as much as possible. When you guys, when you get ducks on the pond, bring them in. Period. Make the pitchers. You know, you know. You remember, make make our jobs easier, man. We can go out there and just pound the zone with strikes and fastballs and let that work. So left on base, it's that simple. Yeah. One of the things I've been highlighting in my pods and stuff is they, uh, I'm really keying in on runners on third with less than two outs opportunities that present itself and scored. And they actually did a good job today. Three for three, but uh, Alex, a lot of stats to piggyback off what Matt said. Any one of those stand out? Look, struck out 11 times, 12 left on base. Pitchers only threw 55% strikes. They allowed AM to get their leadoff hitter on four out of eight times. In contrast, Skeens was like one for nine on that Friday night game. Anything that you can point your finger to in those stats to uh, say this was one of the huge issues why they lost? I mean, there's a there's not one thing as to why they lost today. There's a combination of things. There were some defensive miscues that have not been characteristic of this team. You know, the, I don't know that they actually showed up as errors, but there were just, you know, there was a couple of, like, drop – I think there was one drop double play by um, – Thompson. By, yeah. by mm-hmm. Thompson. Um, you know, there's uh, – White had that wild throw um, to first base, you know, um, but so, I mean, there's just, there was a lot of things that went into that was just uncharacteristic of this team, right? You mentioned the strike percentage, right? This team's usually a 60 to 70% strike throwing team, right? Yep. Today it's 55%, yep. right? And then you've got some the defensive mistakes and kind of mental mistakes that have not been characteristic of this team. And so today was just, you know, just one of those off days and it all kind of snowballed on you and led to a loss. No, I agree. I think it's just one of those games to where if they would have won, you could have said they played ugly. They played bad and they won, but they just played ugly and lost. And in the end, it just ends up catching to it, catch it up to them. One of the things that I was writing down, because I was curious to see who, who Jay Johnson and them were going to bring in the game, right? So obviously they started her. They brought in Cooper. Shore surprised me then little. I'm going to throw this question to both of y'all. Alex, I'll just go right back to you. It seems like they have four guys in the bullpen they can trust right now. Ackenhausen. Little, regardless of what you think of his outing today, you can trust him. Cooper, I think he's still a little bit scuffling, but I think in the end, Cooper, you can trust what Cooper's going to bring. And then um, Edwards, almost forgot, Garrett Edwards. So those four guys right there. So Alex and then Matt. Are we short in the bullpen? Like, do they have enough arms or trusted arms in the bullpen right now heading into Arkansas and Tennessee? Or is that something that we've overlooked because the starters have been so good? Uh, you know, I think, you know, when you, when you put it like that, it does feel, you know, like we might be a little bit short, but I mean, I think there's some other guys that, you know, we didn't see this weekend that, you know, can still give you really quality innings. You know, I think Griffin Herring is a guy as another lefty that, you know, is, is a four pitch guy that could be, could throw some valuable innings for you that we didn't see this weekend. And, um, you know, uh, Dutton's another guy that, you know, I think, there, you know, there could be some trust in, you know, he, he pitched some big innings for you last year and he could be a guy, um, you know, you certainly, you, you know, you hate to see the struggles from Bryce Collins. He was another guy that you were kind of mm-hmm. counting on in that bullpen this year and he just hasn't had it for whatever reason. Um, but you know, I think some other guys do need to step up. Yeah. Matt to you in terms of the bullpen arms, four guys that we really trust right now. 
I know it's still early, right? Your first SEC series, um, you take two out of three on the road at A&M. But did you think the bullpen was going to be a little deeper at this point or about where you thought it would be? Or what's your thoughts on that? I think I actually think the bullpen's fine. I actually have a, a different take on it. I just ahead, don't think yeah. we've had the opportunity to see him. We've How many seven-inning games have we played? We haven't had those those games where the midweeks where we're playing Southeast Louisiana or New Orleans where, you know, New Orleans went nine innings, they agreed to nine. But games like that, those midweek games where you see Johnny Holstaff towards the end of a game, you know, it doesn't really matter on either side. The, either team doesn't matter, the winning or the losing team. It's about getting guys opportunities to see who can be there. And I just don't think our guys have had the opportunities to do it. So it's kind of been short right now. But I think we'll be fine. You know, more games we play, um, and we're going to need them in the SEC play anyway. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I look for some other guys to get some opportunity to shine a little bit. And um, I definitely think there need to be – if you if you have those four guys you can trust, probably need to have two more guys that you can really rely upon, you know, when you get to the thick of SEC play, just because you can't always count on your starters going five or six innings every time, just with how well these SEC teams hit. But let's get into uh, – I think they got some comments that we've been staving up on the side. All right, Eric, here we go. I think we need to talk about Malazzo since he is a better defensive catcher than Neil. Neil struggled catching balls that were not even in the dirt. Malazzo is hitting the ball a lot better. That is something I noticed from Brady Neal a little bit a couple times this weekend in terms of some pass balls. He had a, he had a couple of struggles, you know, with pass balls, and, and that's always tough in terms of, you know, where the pitcher throws him and his job to block him. I think he can absolutely swing it, but you have seen Malazzo getting his opportunities, whether it's bunts, or getting a chance to hit late in the game. Matt, we'll just start off with you. What do you think about that comment right there by Eric in terms of the Malazzo Neal situation at catcher? I've I've always been a big fan of Malazzo, and I, I think he's one of those guys that could thrive in a lineup like this because I never really cared about the average for Malazzo to begin with. His ability to take away a running game and handle the pitching staff and basically be a wall back there is is so incredibly vital, especially when it comes to conference play and when you get into the heat of things. If you got a veteran guy who knows what he's doing back there, I think that's important. And if you get hitting out of him, if if Malazzo hits 250 or better, that is massive at that position. And I'll take that, especially with what we know he can do behind the plate. Yeah, Alex, I think Malazzo's probably hitting right about 250 right now. Uh, I'll leave it probably a little higher. I don't have his stats or the uh, everything right in front of me. But Alex, do you think we see uh, maybe a platoon system, right, where Malazzo may hit against and catch against left-handed starting pitching and Neal versus the righties? Or do you think Jay's going to stick with Neal moving forward, given how Malazzo's done? We've seen him come in late innings, right, as a defensive replacement possibly, but he's done some really good things with the bunt game and then hitting the ball the opposite way. Do you think there's a change on the horizon, or, or does Jay stand pat with Neal back there? No, I think Jay's going to stay pat with Neal back there. I mean, I think – you know, I, I like Malazzo, but I, I, I don't think you lose a ton when you go from Malazzo to Neal defensively. Maybe you lose a little bit, and then I, but I think that's mostly just because Neal's a freshman, right? I mean, this kid uh, should be in high school right now. He reclassified. Right. He should be a senior in high school right now. And, you know, you talk about pit, you know the different pitchers that LSU threw out there, you know, especially today with the different speeds and arm angles and locations of pitches and everything, and how it's hard for the batters. It's hard for the catchers too. And yeah. so it's, it's a little difficult for him. He's a freshman and, and, but he had, he takes really professional at bats. He's really good at drawing walks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that, 
you know, you lose a significant amount uh, defensively. Um, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll grant you, Malazzo is the better defensive catcher, but I don't think he's that much better than Neil. Yeah, and I think, I think it's a situation where you saw Neil catch all three games, so I'd imagine he's going to get a break on Tuesday night. Whoever LSU's midweek opponent is, I just hadn't, I hadn't got into that. I think it may be Grambling, so I'm sure everybody will welcome Grambling into town before they take on Arkansas. But it's going to be interesting, something interesting to see. You know, I've seen people go back and forth on that in the Baton Rouge sports talk community or on Twitter. It seems like people have their favorites. But I've been super impressed by Neil. Maybe some hiccups every now and then. Look, he, he does not show a lack of ability to throw down, throw behind runners. That's impressed me with his confidence in his arm. You know, and some of that's on pitchers, right, Matt? I mean, we got to do our job, too, that's to true. hold those guys. But um, what I've seen from Malazzo, I've been very impressed with, you know, in terms of uh, just the injuries and, and the year he had last year. So let's check out. Let's see if we have any more um, comments or questions. All right, Eric's got another one here. <clears throat> White's really struggling at third if there's an athletic play to be made. And having Kling at leadoff really took some juice out of the lineup this weekend for sure. I think he's much better at 8-9. So we've touched on the Kling. We're kind of split on that. We think he's uh, obviously has the ability to work himself out of that. We think all of us, I think, believe Jay's going to leave him there. I'm going to disagree with you on the Tommy White thing. Alex, I'll let you answer this at first. I saw him play a lot in the fall and the spring, and I was actually impressed by his athleticism at third. Now, I know he's kind of slipped a couple times lately. He may not look like – that may not look, look, make him look athletic, but I saw him make a ton of plays to his uh, left. I saw him come in and make some plays. And I think if you take him off a third, then you got to put Napolt in there, right? So you're use, losing another back because then you got to – I think I guess you probably well Trey's out there and left, and you got to do some with Pearson again. So Alex, you know what do you think about White at third? And then we've kind of touched on the clean situation in terms of dropping him in the order potentially, but White at third, any issues or cause for concern with him defensively at third? Uh, no. Um, I mean, he's he might maybe he struggled maybe he's not you know he's not an all star de- third defensive third baseman, but he's got thirty five RBI on the season. I'll take an Aaron throw every once in a while, or maybe a misplayed rundown, you know, every once in a while. Uh, I mean, especially since LSU, you know, is number one in the country defensively. Defensively, yeah. Right. I mean, there's there, there's not much really to to complain about defensively. Yeah, there were a few, you know, like I mentioned earlier, there was some mental errors today that kind of cost uh, cost them, but that's that's uncharacteristic. And yeah, I'm not worried about Tommy White. Matt, your take on Eric's comment, Tommy White at third, good to go, or uh, cause for concern? Obviously, like, I, look, I, I like Napolt. I, um, defensively, he made some really good plays. Obviously, trouble with the bat, which actually surprised me. But that's another conversation for another time. But Matt, White at third, you're good with that? I, I have no issues, especially if Trey's at first. Um, you know, just, just ask Jordan Thompson from last year. You know, his, his error count would have been double had it not been yeah. for Trey. So, But I don't think that – Tommy's also a walking error either. I, you know, there was some, that ball that was, you know, that he made the errant throw on. I mean, that was a tough play regardless. I mean, I don't even think the, if the throw's good, he gets him. It's tough. Um, and I'm not worried about him at all. Um, you know, he's, he's three games behind everybody else anyway, and he hasn't played a ton of third already. So, you know, just let him get there and let's, let's have that conversation midway through the season. Yeah. I thought, I thought it was interesting that, um, the broadcasters mentioned that uh, maybe said that doesn't get brought up enough. You heard them. You've heard people talk about Christian Little coming from Vanderbilt to LSU so that he can start. But uh, 
the, how they mentioned that White came to LSU so he could play third base. Like he didn't feel like he may get that shot at North Carolina State. Obviously, I don't know that depth chart, but he's one of the reasons he specifically came, besides all the other reasons, was to get a ton of time at third base. So uh, I thought the A&M broadcasters actually did a pretty good job this weekend. I was pretty impressed. They brought up some pretty good stuff. I think we're spoiled with Ben and Rance, but uh, <laughs> they did a good job. All right, Jacob, let's see. Something needs to happen with Thompson. Here we go. Yes, his defense has been so much better than last year. I mean, I totally agree 100%. But it was supposed to be a lot more improved at the plate, and he seems a little bit worse. So uh, I'm going to have to disagree a little bit with you there too, Jacob. Look, Thompson is a probably a 275 hitter. If you ask all three of us, what would you expect Jonathan Thompson to hit on the year? I don't think he's going to hit 250. I don't think he's going to hit 315. I think he's going to hit about 280. And that's kind of right where he is. He was on my get right list, and I haven't done the final stats for the weekend in terms of Thompson, but – it was. I bet he hit around 300 for the weekend. Defensively, I think he's been great. Matt, in terms of Thompson, you know, he's down in the order. Obviously, he's had some pop in the past. We haven't seen it as of yet. But any issues with Thompson in terms of um, his plate approach or, or or that comment we just saw pop up on the screen right there? Listen, Thompson, let's not forget who started the spark in the second game there for LSU. Thompson, when, when guys weren't hitting – he got that little, you know, that little base hit and got got the ball rolling. Thompson yeah. is an important piece, and he's always gonna. He always seems to kind of when get, when everybody else isn't hitting, he'll get a he'll knock a little single or he'll draw an important walk and kind of get them going. But the arm is elite. The glove is much improved, yeah. and that's an important position in the SEC to be really good defensively. Is the shortstop position, and you know maybe somebody might hit for a better average, but can they do that with the glove and the arm? That's an important, important factor in this game. Alex, your take on Thompson, obviously much improved. I mean, he's made a couple plays recently that I've been like, wow. You know, I think he made one today actually coming that in throw. on a slow roller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that throw. Yeah, to where I was like uh, – I did get aggravated when he bobbled that double play, and it didn't matter because LSU started losing. And I was like – the double play where he went to turn it with Dugas, I was like, oh, my goodness. But he's got the hose, as you said, Matt. But, um, Alex, your thoughts on him at the plate? And that comment uh, with regards to Thompson there? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm a huge Jordan Thompson fan. Jordan Thompson is going to be in this lineup every day. Jay Johnson said at the beginning of the season. And, you know, maybe he's having a little bit of struggles at the plate. But, you know, like you said, Chris, he's he's not a 300 hitter. He's not he's not Dylan Cruz, right? You don't you don't yeah. need him to be Dylan Cruz. You're not expecting him to be Dylan Cruz. You're, you're expecting him to hit. Yeah, like you said, 275, 280. And, you know, maybe get eight or nine home runs and put in, bring in some RBI. And I think that's exactly what he is. And I think that's exactly what he has been. Yeah. So I ran the numbers real quick. So if y'all are wondering what was going on back here. So Thompson was three for 13 on the weekend. The biggest outlier, look, one from three, I'll take that every day from him. Two for five, I'll take that every day from him. But on Saturday, he was 0 for five. So that collar stands out. Three for 13, which is 231. We'll round up on this show. So not great. Two walks and three Ks. So it wasn't like he punched out six times, you know, it just, um, I guess I think people, when he's down in the order, you're right. He has a job to do. His job is to turn the lineup over, but he's still a veteran presence down there. I think he can extend it back. And sometimes he pops up when you don't expect him, but uh, as long as he hits 275, I would love to see him repeat six to eight home runs again. I think that's right where he's at. We haven't seen that yet. And as long as he starts, he keeps playing defense like that, then I have no problem with him there. Because we got seven other guys that can swing it, you know, just like y'all said. 
All right, I think that's it for the uh, the comments and the questions on this episode here as we're done. I want to thank Matt and Alex for stepping in here on the uh, the live edition, the instant analysis of the 60 feet, 6 inches LSU podcast as LSU takes two out of three on the road versus A&M. Amazing series coming up at the box as Arkansas comes to town and we have Tennessee come to town. We didn't talk about it, but just so everybody knows, uh, I'm going to get these guys, I'm going to get their last take real quick on this. SEC rundown. I almost signed off the show without going over this. SEC rundown. Florida takes two out of three. Vandy sweeps Ole Miss. Oh, okay. Tennessee gets swept, as my son just told me. I think (laughs) Arkansas sweeps Auburn. Kentucky sweeps State. Kentucky demolishes Mississippi State. They have no pitching over there, it seems like. USC sweeps Georgia on the road. We could probably take talk 30 minutes, all three of us, all two or three of us between this. Man, I'm a little flustered now after hearing that. Right? Tennessee cost me a lot of money this weekend. So, <laughs> <laughs> I swear you to God. You should know, man. That's Missouri. A sweep man. to Missouri. All right, all right, Matt, Matt. Out of those, just pick. I don't know if you can just pick one. I think I know where you're going. Alex, I may have to have you take another one. Matt, surprises from the SEC this weekend? Where are you Actually, going? Actually, it's not, it's not the Tennessee one. Actually, I thought that could happen just because of the time of year, first series, it's on the road, it's ugly. The big one for me is Vanderbilt because while they've played much better competition, the offense has really struggled and Bradfield's really struggled. And they go out and do that to Ole Miss, that was impressive. That was impressive. Yeah, Alex, I mean, yeah, I thought Vanderbilt was going to struggle hitting all year. I put that in my preview when I was doing the SEC teams. But for Ole Miss offense to go in there and get shut down, but Alex, you got Vandy, Ole Miss, Mizzou. How about USC on the road at Georgia, and then uh, finally, you know, Kentucky sweep state. What uh, what stands out when you look at the SEC results this weekend? I think for me, it's Kentucky and Mississippi State, and not just that they got swept, but just how how dominant what Kentucky was over state. Like that's never that, Kentucky should never be that dominant against Mississippi State. Like, yeah, you maybe you lose a series, you know, maybe you get swept occasionally, but not like that. Mississippi State is too proud a program. I mean, they're two years from a national championship, and they are just getting absolutely demolished, you know, week in, week out. And they are just bad. They were bad last year, and they look – I thought they were going to take a big step up this year, and they just haven't. And, you know, that's – there's a lot of people in Starkville I know that are uh, are starting to call for Chris Limonis' job. Oh wow! What wow? Um, yeah, I, I, I knew State can swing it. Their pitching has been suspect, but I had like Kentucky. I'm not gonna lie, I had Kentucky winning like eight SEC, seven SEC games because when I did the preview, they had to replace literally their whole nine. <laughs> when I, I was like, who? Nobody was there, and the fact that and they weren't that good then. Yeah, you're exactly right. And they were like 14 and two in non-conference. I thought it was a bunch of fool's gold. And then you look at their pitching staff. I'm like, they have like a sub. They have like a right around a three ERA. And I'm like, this is not. This is not going to hold on. But obviously, it's freezing up there. It's freezing in Mizzou. But both teams got to play in it, and um, very impressive. And then South Carolina, I, I picked them to win two out of three, but I didn't think they would take the sweep on the road at Georgia. Pretty impressive to me. But that just goes to show me that the SEC is parity is all over the place. And then um, the the teams you think are not good, like Bama. People have been dogging on me for my Bama co- comments. You know, I picked Bama to go fifteen and fifteen, 
they take they bat, they could have taken two from Florida, and uh, it's going to be interesting this year, as Carl the Cat says that Tony V got tossed in game two. Interesting. So uh, it's going to be interesting. I can't wait for the next two series at the box. But um, I want to thank we're going to we're actually going to sign off this time. So <laughs> I want to thank Matt and Alex for joining me. Look, make sure that y'all check out their stuff. Alex Day from the Weekend Rotation Podcast. It is at Radio Man Day. And obviously Matt Beard and his two uh, compatriots over there at Spittin' Seeds 247 account. But his personal account is at LSU MAB11. Guys, I appreciate the time. Thank you all for joining me very much. And so this will be linked on the Twitter account, YouTube version, and podcast as well. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in, whoever sent in comments and questions. And we hope to keep this up throughout the season. I definitely want to get Matt and Alex back on, put those guys in the rotation. And until next time, y'all stay safe. And as always, go Tigers.